Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by the X-Men. Wait, shouldn't that be X-People? Come on now, Xavier, smash the patriarchy. Now, let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by The Shelter. Come spew your rhymes and your mom's spaghetti at The Shelter's open mic Friday night. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And this is the movie podcast where a couple of filmmakers like to break apart films and see what we can learn during the process. I don't know, as filmmakers, yeah. just trying to hone and perfect our craft and also have a fun conversation along the way. Yeah. Um, and for me, like, I grew up on movies. I didn't have a lot of TV growing up. And so when people reference Nickelodeon, eat my shorts or whatever the thing is, salute my shorts, yeah, uh, something like that, uh, I don't know what they're talking about. But if they want to talk about, you know, James Cameron, then I'm right there with you. Interesting. But for me, movies are usually going to be a, like, I went through a bit of a depression the last few weeks. And for me, being able to sit and watch a movie, I couldn't watch TV. It was like going to feed my soul to sit and just watch movie after movie after movie. And I went through at least 30 movies um, over the course of, you know, a couple weeks. And that's unbelievable. It was a lot. And I can read through like a list of some of the movies I watched. But were they like super depressing? Not really. So, okay, I'll read them. Um, 50-50, Spring, which you've never seen Spring, and I really want to cover that at some point. It's a little indie film, uh, Draft House picked up, actually, and they played it. It's fantastic. I want to get those directors on, too. Pride and Prejudice, Sing Street, Call Me By Your Name, The Way, Way Back, uh, Brooklyn, 500 Days of Summer, Count of Monte Cristo, Memoirs of a Geisha, Love Jones, Prime, not Primer, Prime, My Blueberry Nights, Definitely Maybe, Cloud Atlas, Love and Other Drugs, Slumdog, uh, Chung King Express, Spanglish, Shop Girl, uh, 28 Weeks Later, which may or may not have been yeah. <laughs> tangential. Like, yeah, okay. Again. Uh, and then there was a bunch of others that I don't own, and so I didn't really have a good way to track those. But yeah, for me, just being able to kind of sit and a lot of those movies, there's a, a small theme in there that you wouldn't be able to pick up. But there's whenever I'm going through like a tough time, I like seeing things where someone's getting crushed. <laughs> I like to see people Makes you feel like you're not alone. Yes. That's yeah. 100% it. Yeah. And it reminds me like, yeah, you know, these are universal things that I'm experiencing. And even if I'm experiencing it through another character and probably somewhere in the back of my mind, I'm thinking someone wrote this, someone, you know, felt this and yeah, yeah I'm not alone. Yeah. And that's super cathartic. And so by the end of it, it took a, I don't know, two or three weeks and there's ups and downs. And for me, you're never probably going to meet me at a time in life when I'm not in some form of depression, but there's, there's bigger valleys and peaks for sure. Um, and I did that inverted. If you're watching my video, valleys and peaks, <laughs> valleys and peaks. That's big of you to talk about it, man. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's one of those things where it's important. It is. It is. And I think there's so much stigma around it that it's good to know that, you know, other people deal. And for me, movies are so crucial to that process, which people might look at us and say, well, of course you watch movies. You do a movie podcast. 
but I'm like yeah. most people today. Like, We're not always in front of a screen. No, yeah. but even if I am, there's a good chance I'm binge watching a TV show. Yeah. Like there's still so many times when I just want to sit and watch episode. Like I watched the uh, Eureka from last week, living with yourself. Yes. And I watched it all today. Like I started the whole thing, it, right? The whole thing. Little bite size, yeah. 22 minutes, right? Yeah. But yeah, I go through those phases too. But sometimes whenever I'm dealing, it's so nice because movies offer you a complete arc. And that's one of the big differences between a movie and a TV show is TV shows are built in these five to 10 minute segments that are supposed to get you addicted. And so they get to the emotional punches that much faster or the jokes, the punchlines that much quicker. Whereas sometimes usually a movie is going to take a much longer time to evolve an idea and an emotion and a payoff. And as an audience, we have gotten to a point where we don't really want to sit and wait that long yeah. it, it's demanding of us for sure but whenever i'm going through these deeper emotional things i want these longer payoffs i want these bigger deep dives into you want to brood in it you yeah. want to like like almost enjoy it in in some weird way totally I mean, I'm, ga- I'm guessing I'm no like, you're absolutely on point like yeah. i couldn't have said it better actually yeah. like yeah. brood is the best word to describe yeah. me sometimes <laughs> <laughs> i get it and so i'm curious like do you, whenever you're sick, like, or, uh, dealing with something, do you find yourself ever going to a movie or does it like an album that you go to, uh, mm. you know, as you have such a huge music background? Yeah. For me, it's usually music. Um, because the feeling like I, I want to feel that feeling. I want to feel it immediately and for a long time. And so like, and I can kind of get those from certain films, eternal sunshine would be one and where just like from the beginning to the end, I just have this feeling, right. This like feeling in my life that like, it's like hearing a song that you, you know, the first time you met your first love in high school or something, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, where you just like have, it's that feeling instantly. But like for me, usually it's music, any Sigaros album for sure. Uh, the second Bonnie Bear record and uh, block party weekend in the city and elbow. I knew you were about to say elbow. Yeah. <laughs> Seldom seen kid is cool, but I think, uh, what, what is it? Uh, something in the back or something. Uh, anyway, I think it's like doing their third record or something. It has mirror ball on it anyway. Um, yeah. So it, for me, it's usually music and I don't have to like sit still cause I don't sit still very often, very well. So I can like, keep doing something or moving while I'm listening. I can go for a run or I can, you know, be in my car driving somewhere or something like that. So, yeah, that's really cool. I have one album that one, whenever that's cool. It gets really like on the the worst end. If you, if you start hearing me play me against the world, then it's like, we need to check in. Yeah. (laughs) But it's one of those albums that it was, you know, foundational to my youth. And so whenever I play that, it feels like I get a little sense of home. Like, Oh, uh, there's a, you know, great line in the movie. It's like, you know, I think we're all looking for that feeling of, and that sense of home. And for me, yeah. that album definitely provides us, oh, familiarity. Yes, there's comfort. And it's funny because even though it's my favorite album, I don't know every lyric. I've kind of made it a point to not memorize awesome. the entire album. That's why I love Sigur so much. Because you have no idea what they're saying. <laughs> Whatever they say. <laughs> that's, I'm not trying to be racist. I'm just, I don't know what they're saying. Oh, I think so that's the good. point. I think that's why a lot of yeah. people like that. that yeah. That's that's awesome. 
really cool. cool. Man. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, man. I think it's apropos. I think it'll come back up uh, later in today's episode. I think so. <laughs> Probably. So <laughs> today we are covering Joker. So if you haven't seen Joker, oh man, uh, pause this episode because we're going to talk about so many things. So spoiler alert. There you go. If you haven't seen it, pause. 100%. We'll talk about so many things. Maybe we'll talk about the things that I have notes on, but I don't even know. I don't know. Um, but probably the things that I want to talk about will be like cinematography, story, performances, and maybe other such stuff and things. Uh, yeah, a few other things, I'm sure. Theme. <laughs> Um, yeah, so the synopsis of the film in Gotham City, mentally troubled comedian Arthur Fleck is disregarded and mistreated by society. He then embarks on a downward spiral of, of revolution and bloody crime. This path brings him face to face with his alter ego, the Joker, directed by Todd Phillips, screenplay by Todd Phillips and Scott Silver, cinematography by Lawrence Shear, Cher. Uh, featuring Joaquin Phoenix as Arthur Fleck, Robert De Niro as Murray Franklin, Zazie Beetz as Sophie Dumond, uh, Francis Conroy as Penny Fleck, Glenn Flesher as Randall, and Lee Gill as Gary. Arthur, I have some bad news for you. <laughs> this is the last time we'll be meeting. You don't listen, do you? You just ask the same questions every week. How's your job? Are you having any negative thoughts? All I have are negative thoughts. And finally, in a world where everyone thinks they could do my job, check out this guy. When I was a little boy and told people I was gonna be a comedian, everyone laughed at me. Well, no one's laughing now. You can say that again, pal. Ooh. So, what, what is your think? first question you're going to ask me? I have, I actually have a list, but yeah, sorry, I just want to start to be the, on mic for this. Yeah, I, I'm just curious what your initial reaction was walking out of this thing. All right, I, it's still kind of. I mean, I'm just, I'm just going to come out and say it, and I've talked to so many people who either agree or don't agree, and. You know, a lot of times before I tell, I say this, I'm a, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty like affected guy, affected guy by people's opinions. I'm just going to say it. I'm not like a strong, you, you you're, know, I, you're empathetic. Like you listen. Well, yeah. Yeah. Like if, if I tell somebody I loved a movie and they say, oh, I hated that. I'm like interested in knowing why, because that could definitely affect like the, their point of view can affect how much. I either like a film or even like it at all or whatever. And especially if it's coming from a source of someone who like really knows what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, if I talk to another cinematographer and they say, Oh, I hated that movie and they tell me why. And I'm like, Oh shoot. You know what? That makes sense. That affects, that does affect me. And I know it doesn't affect everybody, but I've talked to people that have said, man, that was amazing. It was an incredible movie. And I've talked to people that were like, eh, wasn't my favorite. That being said, nothing anybody has said has affected how I feel about this movie. And I just have to say that I've seen it twice. And when I saw it the first time I saw it by myself in an AMC because I had a <laughs> gift card for AMC and I didn't want to spend the money cause I'm a cheap human. Um, and it was very effective. It was more effective the second time. And 
and I wasn't alone. I saw it with you uh, at Alamo, which is the best place to see a movie. And I have to say, I mean, it's, it's okay. It's hard to say this, but just off of two viewings, which is not enough to say it, but I, I just have to say it's, if not, if it's not my favorite film of all time, it is probably my second favorite film of all time. And there's so many reasons why, but the one reason in particular, if I had to say, would just be that it was, it was almost like, it's okay. It's hard to pick one thing, but it's, it's almost like they didn't care if you liked it or not. The way they, the way that Todd Phillips made this movie, the way all everybody, I mean, like Lawrence Scher is like, what else has he done? Like, that is in, it, it just phenomenal, phenomenal cinematography. It's amazing. But I got the sense from the very beginning that they didn't give a shit if I liked this movie or not. They were like, we're going to make the movie that you that you need to see, not the one that you came and want to see. You want to see Batman? No. You see Bruce Wayne when he's a kid. Like, you don't get any Batman. I mean, they gave us a little Easter egg things, like with the pearls and stuff mm-hmm. when the mom gets shot. But... It was just unapologetic, brutally unviolent. I mean, honestly, five people die in the entire movie. Tell me, tell me (laughs) the last superhero movie, rated R superhero movie, where only a few people died. Okay, first off, I'll say it is now the number one R rated movie of all time. Beating Deadpool. Beating Deadpool, beating Logan, beating Deadpool 1. And in those movies that got R ratings, hundreds of people died in brutally right. terrible, terrible ways. And nobody gave a shit about any of them. Yeah. Right. Except for if the hero dies. Right. Or if uh, a major bad guy dies or something, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, that was that was heavy, maybe. But in this case, every single time somebody died, which was only five times, it was meaningful it was important it was like and even the first three were like almost he didn't he didn't want he wasn't trying yeah. to start a revolution yeah like that had that was nothing that was the farthest thing from his mind he didn't he didn't think he existed much less thought he could affect society and i mean i have so much to say so you're gonna have to stop me but it that was okay. Um, that's it. I'm just going to stop because I want you to talk to, and I really want to hear what you have to say because we've been putting this off for weeks. Um, because I, ha- and I have no idea what you're going to say. And I've already told you that I think it's one of my favorite movies, if not my favorite movie of all time. That's why they didn't care if I liked it. They just made the movie that they thought that needed to be made. Yeah. And for the record, we're recording on Halloween night. Um, uh, yes, yes so obviously October 31st. We're not released until the following Tuesday. Right. Happy Halloween. Yep. And so, yeah, you know what? I was pretty much in the middle of my depression when I went to see this. Oh, that's ouch. Yeah. And I've, it's not that I'm not affected by movies, but I'm, I'm never affected by movies in a way that I don't want them to affect me. Mm, like yeah, I, I maintain yeah. a very strong sense of autonomy. And if I let something make me emotional, it's because I'm allowing it to. Yeah. Like I've never let a movie take something from me that I didn't want to give. Inter- that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Like to the point where growing up, my mother called me uh, Ironheart. 
because we'd watch movies and she'd be like bubbling and crying. And even as a kid, I refused. I was like, yeah. no, I'm not going to let a fictional story, you know, make me cry. Yeah. You know, F you, you no one can control me. Like I, <laughs> it was literally that in my mind. You I'm, don't control me. Yeah. Even as a kid, I just yeah. had this image in my mind like, oh, they're trying to pull my strings. F you. This is the first time I was in a movie and I felt myself descending into madness yes. with the Joker, <laughs> with Arthur. I'm so happy to hear you say that. <laughs> I wasn't. I walked out of there like I was about to drift into traffic. Dude, <laughs> same. Absolutely the same. I was like, that's me. Yeah, yeah. Keep going. Like to an extent where it was scary and I couldn't find myself getting like enough to care yeah. uh, about it. And it was the craziest, weirdest experience of my life. And I'm really glad that you wanted to cover it because that meant I had to go back and watch it again. Mm -hmm. And thankfully at this point, you know, I was feeling a lot better and sitting there watching, I was able to enjoy it more for the reasons that I would want to enjoy any movie. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, Oh yeah, this is a really great story. And, um, it's still like affecting, uh, but certainly not in the way that I first experienced. And it, yeah, I mean, I, I love it. I think it's really fantastic. Part of me, wonders if it's being and i i think i do this with any movie that starts getting like this crazy amounts of praise i'm like does it deserve that and in this case i don't know if it does but i'm glad it's getting it for all the reasons that you said because this isn't normally the kind of r-rated movie fans are going to line up for instead that would go to Deadpool. Um, yeah. and not, and I would classify this closer to Logan where it's like, I'm surprised people are lining up for this because this is a think piece. This is a character piece. Yeah. It's a, it's a character study and it's really slow at the beginning. People don't spend hundreds of millions of dollars to go watch a character study Yeah, and they did for this. And so that makes me super happy on, on one level as a, as a fan of, you know, thoughtful filmmaking. And so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of my, baseline take i also i guess kind of get worried that i'm glad what deadpool did and logan did for comic book movies that made way for a film like joker i don't think you can have joker without those movies but i'm also a little concerned i guess with the idea that for one i don't want to see a bunch of really bad origin stories of villains like I don't need to see, you know, I don't think I do anyway, uh, a two hour movie of the origins of Bane or the Penguin. No. You know what I but mean? But nobody cares. No, luckily, I mean. They're not iconic. No, Joker is, I would have to imagine, the most iconic villain of any comic book Agreed. series anywhere. Agreed. Without, I, I don't even know who would come in second. To That's be why he is. Yeah. yeah. And so, I don't know, I just think there's, there's something here that is like, oh, do I want these expectations i don't know i don't i don't okay. have the fully formed thought Can, on that okay but, well okay. let me just ease your mind yeah. with don't concern yourself with something that hasn't been made right right yes could they go down these terrible roads and just make jokers about everybody yeah sure but so i have some questions for you that you've written down? Yes, I've like oh wow formalized these these thoughts because I forgot to formalize that other thought, which <laughs> was formal at one point, but it's been like two weeks. So. Oh god! Did he did did Arthur kill Sophie Dumont? No, 
What do you think happened there? Because he just exits, yeah. and we have that crazy ominous music as he strolls down the hall. Yeah. Do you think anything happened in there, or do you think he just left? I think he just left. Okay. That's just your gut feeling. Yeah, because he's he's not... And I'll, well, I'll tell you why, because I've been asked that too. He's not just a murderer of anybody. You know, he shows that when... Uh, who's the little guy? Oh, Gary. Is it Gary? Yeah. Okay, cool. He doesn't kill Gary. He says... He says, I'm not going to hurt you, Gary. You know, you've always, uh, been, you, nice you've always been nice to me. Yeah. Right. The point is, is, and so she, she wasn't ever mean to him. I mean, they didn't, you know, hook up or anything, but she didn't turn him down either. Yeah. You know, so. No, that was, that was my feeling too. Yeah. Um, everyone he kills, he has a specific reason for killing. Exactly. Was, so this is a harder one. Was it all a fantasy delusion? Like, so. What is all? The entire movie. Uh, mm. I think there's this kind of implication at the very end, whenever he's he's pondering, he's in the the, the mental health ward, mm-hmm. and she's asking him, you know, what's what's so funny, and he keeps reflecting, and he's like, you wouldn't get it, mm-hmm. um, and so, and I and I ask that because there's a couple of other things that come way before that. For one, we see that he has delusions with Sophie, and we see that, and with the whole Murray sequence early on. Um, but we also have him making that comment, I don't know if I even really exist. And then on top of that, you have that flashback to him smashing his head in the mental hospital ward, mm-hmm. which, by the way, the clock says 1111 on it. Um, I don't know if that's significant or not, but I just mm-hmm. thought it was interesting. And so it feels like you could look at this movie and say, this was all one grand delusion or fantasy uh, sequence of the way he makes himself feel important um, mm-hmm. in, in a crazy word or not. That's an, no, that, that's a really interesting question because um, also towards the beginning, when you see that shot of him, you know, hitting his head in the, in the mental ward, she, she asks him, his therapist asks him, do you remember why you were there? And he doesn't answer. Right. So, and I was, I was wondering like, wait, so he was in a mental institution before, but then later in the movie, when he goes to the mental institution where his mother was, was held, he's like, how does someone end up here? Right. And so, it, which is like, it's a confusing timeline. So, I mean, that could quite possibly, like, I wouldn't put it past them to do something like that and never give you an answer to it. You know, maybe in another, in like the second joker or something i don't know they might bring that up but then they'd have to kind of recreate this violent world again and that might get a little exhausting you know what i mean because in the story gotham is violent gotham is lost right and so it was also an origin story somewhat of the the of losing gotham of gotham like gotham's downward spiral and so it would it would basically mean that they would kind of have to give you that again in the next movie when mm-hmm. they tell you that, Oh no, this was just him imagining yeah. stuff. Right. Which I mean, maybe they could do. I was going to ask, do, do you, do you think there is a sequel? I hope not, yeah. but it made ridiculous amount of money. So probably it's usually hard to turn that. Down. Uh, yeah. Like how mm-hmm. would they turn it down? I, I, I would not be surprised if Joaquin Phoenix said no. To the second one. And frankly, I hope he says no. Yeah. Because he could do literally anything. He does not need to do another Joker movie. They, I don't think they need to make another Joker movie. But money talks, man. So who if, knows? 
if they did, and I agree with both of your last comments, like for one, I don't think it was a fantasy or delusion. I think that's a fun idea to throw out there, but totally, I, totally. I think whenever he's having that, uh, when he's in the ward and he's, and she asks him that question, he also flashes back to the idea of, uh, Bruce in the alley. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that flashback kind of tells us this all happened. It kind of solidifies it in, in a yeah. way because we're seeing the fallout with Bruce. Yeah. And so I don't think so. I'm, but I guarantee there's going to be all these oh, yeah. very thick fan theories Memes about this thing. Yeah. And so if there were, and I agree, I also don't want a sequel. I've, I feel like we've explored this as well as I want. Um, it um, won't get any better. And so if there were, who should be Harley Quinn? It, I mean, it should be Sophie. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's who I thought it was going to be the yeah. whole time. And when she shows up at his door, I'm like, that is so hard. Actually, I mean, I thought she was going to be Harley Quinn when she got in the elevator. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God, a black Harley Quinn. This, I want this. Please be. Please be. And then she shows up at his door. Yes, it's happening. It's really happening. And then we find out, you know, that it was it was his imagination. Yeah. But uh, yes, uh, please, please. And which I is another reason her. why I, w- yeah, I love her too, which is another reason why I was like, no, he didn't kill her. Because oh, I'm just saying. And now that we're saying that a lot, like there is one common thing with the number one and number two R-rated movies. <laughs> She's in Deadpool 2. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes. I just realized. That. I'm sure that's obvious to everyone else. but uh, Everybody, yeah. Um, so my last question, which is a much bigger question, did the weaponization of social media create the Joker. Whenever you think about uh, Murray, Murray, <laughs> Murray, <laughs> uh, yeah. using his, his station, right? Shaming and humiliating him for Murray's own personal gain in front of everyone. And I feel like there's so much modern day uh, issues that are being used in this period piece. Uh, and I think that's one of them. I think the idea of using your standing in so as a, you know, social media icon can be weaponized and hurt a lot of people. And in this case, uh, it was maybe one of the final straws, you know, mm-hmm. for, for Arthur, yeah. uh, that ultimately made him the Joker and literally made him the Joker in the sense that that's where, uh, he derived his, his nickname. Yeah. Um, I mean, Yes, is the short answer. But I think the longer answer is not fully. Mm. I think it was everything. And just like that was like the pinnacle. That was the the thing that pushed him over the top. But, you know, he killed those those guys in the train before that ever happened and then ran away and danced in the uh, in the bathroom. Oh, right. Right. And celebrated. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he had plenty of moments before Murray ever called him or before Mur- Murray called him the Joker, a Joker on, on his, you know, when he saw him on TV, uh, play his clip. And I, I mean, I think that, I mean, that was the thing that put it over the top because he just loved him and idolized him and wanted to be on the show more than anything. Uh, and so, yeah, that makes sense. But for me, it, it was such a visceral, this whole movie, there were two things that I felt with this movie. One was that it was a call like, okay. Anybody who's, who's like worried about this, this movie, you know, create, you know, like creating violence or inciting it or, 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 you know, whatever needs to like wake up and look at the reason for it. Like the reason for it is to call, this is how, this is how mass murderers are made. This is how jokers are made. Ignoring 
obvious cries for help from people like obvious. I'm not talking about like, you know, like you, you look, you cannot take care of everyone. You cannot, you know, be the, the angel for everyone, but dear God, you know, you can decide to not beat the shit out of somebody who's just trying to work on a corner, right? You can decide to like be kind and to someone instead of like yelling at them, right? Or to, or like just being a total dick, right? To somebody on a train because they're just laughing in a corner. Like he was trying to also explain to people like, say, I have a condition, which by the way was brilliant. Brilliant. And, and nobody would listen, right? He was, he was just a a broken guy. And when society completely casts people aside, I mean, they've done studies about like separating parents from babies or separating human beings from babies and babies die. Like they will die if they don't have other human contact. What makes us think that when we're older, that's any different? right? It's just a mental death that we experience. It's this movie to me is a call to society to say, you think people are born effed up. Let me tell you, they might be born different, but they are made effed up by myself, by other people, by society, by social media, by, you know, anything and everything. Not everybody is as strong as you are. Which, by the way, I I say you are one of the strongest people I know going through stuff like that regularly through depression like that. Just trusting that you're going to come out of it has got to be scary, right? Because you're afraid maybe I won't this time, you know, like that's got to be rough. But there and there are people that are like that never come out of it. They're just always in it constantly all the time at that level that you're at. And when somebody is down there. And then everyone around them just kicks them in the, in the, just, you know what I mean? Just like walks on them. Of course, of course, that's going to make somebody snap. Of course, it's, and it's not even snapping. It's just going to turn them into something that we all have. We all have a joker in us. And that's why we were feeling what we were feeling when mm-hmm. we left that theater. I came home the first time I came home and I sat in the living room and I cried and I, because I saw myself in, in what was Arthur Fleck, but turned into the Joker, right? I, the second time I sat in my car for like 10 minutes after the movie, just sitting there in silence, like trying to gather myself to be okay with turning on my car and driving away because I saw myself in that. We all have that part in us. And we, and so when society just like will not let up, when life just will not let up, sometimes some people just aren't strong enough to like push through it to stay on the good side, on the Arthur Fleck side, because they have more of the Joker in them. Some people have more of the Joker in them than the Arthur Fleck. You and I do. Not everybody does. And when you're in a, when you're in a country like this, where you can readily have access to firearms that can, that can hurt or kill or not even guns. Let's not even talk about guns. Just you can, you can do a lot of damage and this this movie for me was a super call towards that. And the second part was what I just said, which, which was we both, we all have a joker in us. So it's, it's both of those things, society as a whole and society. I'm not, I'm not taking myself out of that. I'm lumping myself into that. I walk past people every day that I know that need my help. I do it. But now, I mean, honestly, after seeing this movie and experiencing it multiple times, I, 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 
have made a promise to myself to try better to not be that, to try better at not having road rage for stupid things, to try better at like noticing people on the corners, at talking to them, right? I don't need to give them money. If I don't have money, I, I don't. But just saying, saying, I'm sorry, I don't have any money, but man, I hope you have a good day. Like, you know, or your day's okay, right? You know, like things like that, tiny things go a long way. And in it just, oh, man, it really broke me. It really made me realize that I'm part of that. Right. And I want to do something different. I'm going to be on a soapbox half the time on this, man. That's a very good question. And yes, I think social media has a lot to do with it, but most, for the most part, it has a lot to do with it for people that really put a lot of clout in, in how many friends you have or how many likes you get and stuff like that. I think more so social media, like the thing, the bad thing about social media is not, I don't get enough likes. It's you have a perfect life and mine sucks right? I don't have those beautiful pictures to post on Instagram because I haven't done anything fun, you know, in the last week or whatever. Um, but you're out, you know, like traveling the world and doing amazing things. And I get to see that, you know, whatever, but we don't see the other side either. It's like nobody posts sad pictures on Instagram. I mean, I guess that's probably an account. There's probably an account. Yeah. Anyway. I'm going to stop. Okay. Well, I mean, no, I think that's great. I, I, I'd agree with you in the sense that I don't think that was ultimately what made him. It was probably the final, final straw. Yeah. The, because there is all that buildup, like you're talking about, he's getting robbed, he's getting fired. Uh, and the reason he got fired was because he took something that someone forced on him. He didn't even want the gun <laughs> and his buddy made him take it. Right. Uh, what's right. his name? Glenn Fleshler, um, or, uh, Randall, uh, Randall made him take the gun. And then, if, I, and by the way, I love his performance whenever he drops it, he does this. Oh my gosh. Yes. Perfect. Humiliated or embarrassed. And I don't know how to like, simply, yeah. Yeah, like it's <laughs> it's perfect. I felt like I knew that guy. Yes. Uh, without a doubt, I knew people exactly like that growing up that just had no suave or smoothness and they were just a little too slow to uh to figure out how to, you know, work their way out of a, you know, messed up situation. And and so but all those things built up, but I it was ultimately I think, you know, the the thing with his mom like the one person he'd been taken care of and he thought was there for him uh, to find yeah. out all that backstory of where he came from or where he didn't come from. And then you have all this oil that's been poured onto his matchsticks and Murray, Murray just provided the the spark. Like all the, all the powder was there. All the gasoline was there. He just had the wrong spark at the wrong moment. Yeah. And that just, triggered everything obviously i'll dive in because this is going to go into some interesting places maybe but just touching on like some cinematography stuff here the that fantasy murray scene towards the beginning whenever he's imagining he's in the audience yeah i love that so much because we don't know it's a fantasy uh for a while uh, we're like oh man oh wow was yeah he, was he on it he's connecting he seems normal yeah. yeah yeah okay uh he's still kind of awkward but everyone loves him and he's He's working the room in a way that the room doesn't expect to be worked. Like he uh, kind of shames the room and his performance in delivering those lines. You have to remember, these are words on a page 
that Joaquin Phoenix is Thank adding you for pointing that out. so much life to. Yes. Because the page doesn't say, you know, he shames the audience with this line. It's just a line of, well, my mother says that I was put on here to whatever. I love my mother very much, you know. And those are just words. Yeah. <laughs> and he's adding all these emotions and character traits that are not there on the page. So you have to really understand why people are raving over Joaquin's uh, performance here. And it's not because just because the writing is good. It's because his interpretation of the writing exponentially, you know, grew it way beyond the scope that yeah. uh, Todd Phillips had, had put in there and Scott Silver. And so I love, and so you have the scene kind of unfolding and there's these really long, cool camera moves that are kind of echoing the perfection of his fantasy, right? It's this escapism. And the film is, I, I didn't really make really good notes, but I felt like there's a lot of slow creeping shots. But once you're in the, uh, the audience and he's coming on stage and we're watching him walk down, there's this really long, uh, circling camera move as he makes his way to Murray and it feels so seamless and almost exquisite. And then, you know, you soon find out that he's still back in his living room, you know, having this fantasy, but in this moment, it was perfection. Yeah. And in his head, everything is working out to the best. All his delusions are good things. He's not deluding about crimes and the evil. He's deluding people being good to him. These are his fantasies. Yeah. That Sophie loves him. That he gets to be held by someone that he respects and is looked up to. That's amazing. And so whenever you get into these moments, uh, kind of understanding why he's fantasizing these things, I think really plays in really well to understanding his devolution at the same time. Mm -hmm. But cinematography wise, the rest of the film, we have all these really slow creeping shots that kind of creates this existential dread, right? This anticipation and tension. And the reason that works so well in this case specifically, even though it kind of echoes a little bit of a Denny Villeneuve, I never know how to pronounce his name. Uh, but if you think arrival and, uh, the reason that they work in here, these slow creeping shots, is because there's a subtext. And the subtext of everything happening is that we know what he is ultimately going to become. So when you start having this kind of creeping thing, you start to feel like, oh, is this it? Is this a, an important moment? Mm -hmm. Is this a defining moment? Or is this when he actually goes full crazy? And then you also have all this great, you know, laughter that's also creating tension, which is funny that there's some really good jokes in here. Like the comedians on stage are telling these really funny jokes that it's hard to laugh at. Like you can't really laugh because of all the tension that you're, you're feeling as you're watching Arthur. And, you know, as a joke is told, he starts his cackling and you're just like, oh God, this is awkward. <laughs> Is anybody going to call him out? Leave Arthur alone. We're like, yeah, we're kind of yeah. defending him. But it's this dramatic irony that we, the audience, know something the characters do not. And Arthur doesn't even know what he's going to become, let alone anybody he's in the room with. Did you Did you find it? Yeah, there's a few. I'm uh, not sure which one you're talking about. Not enemy. Prisoners, Sicario. Sicario. Or, oh, okay, cool. That was killing me. Um, but yeah, Prisoners too, of course. But yeah. Sicario, he really, I think, pushes it uh, pretty strong. Which is really good. God, yeah, we need to do that one. Yeah. Um, and so cinematography-wise, they also do a lot of shallow depth of field, of course, which uh, is really helpful to isolate characters from their environment so that we can kind of dive into their their inner worlds because this whole thing is a character study and we're constantly watching people's inner worlds and the more close you can get and the more isolated 
targeted and focused on people's faces, the more you can kind of see the windows of what they're what they're dealing with and what they're thinking and feeling and uh, how they're reacting to Arthur or or how how he's reacting or in some cases like not reacting. Like yeah, those those scenes where he's in in therapy or with a social worker, and you can see she's trying to have a conversation. Sometimes he's just in his own head. Yeah. And in some cases frustrated with her. And so then you have the, uh, I don't know if this is quite cinematography, but there's this great, uh, use of patterns throughout the film. Um, it's part of set design for sure. And, and wardrobe, but they do a lot of checkered patterns like his floor, yeah. uh, which you could say is checkered or you could also say it's diamond shaped, uh, like his shirt, tile walls, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of these checkers and diamond shapes. And I think that's super intentional as a reflection. It's kind of like a, a pack of playing cards because of Joker, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a reference oh, yeah. to I like it. this, this whole idea of, Oh, here's a way that we can kind of start embedding this iconography or this imagery that invokes a deck of playing cards that invokes a Joker. I love that. Um, Jokers are wild, right? And so even his eyes, right, have the diamond shapes on them, not the traditional kind of green, uh, blurry, whatever, uh, traditional makeup, but they use these really hard diamond shapes. Yeah, so his mouth too. Yeah, Yeah. and so you're constantly evoking these uh, playing card, you know, imagery that is all reflective and subtly, you know, invoking the idea of playing cards and Joker. Um, going into the story, I loved all the smoking cigarettes. I feel like that was a little suggestion that this is a slow burn. This whole movie is one slow burn. Nice. Yeah. You know, and the reason for that is we're generating empathy for the villain, which is crazy. Yeah. On the one hand, we're waiting for him to snap. Like we see him get beat with his own, you know, advertising board we're like oh god is this it you know uh but we're constantly because of that dramatic irony of us knowing what he becomes it also makes us hope he takes a different path but also understand why he becomes so evil yeah and so you're creating all this empathy for a character that we have never had empathy for um i mean you you never see joker until the only time you ever see joker is in one shot yeah. Even the shot after the shots after you don't see him. Mm-mm. It is a story about a man, a regular man like you or like me, that society turns into the Joker. That's so right. I'm sorry. Yeah. God, no. Here we go. And so getting into the delusions uh, or the big reveals, I'll call them. Can I say something about cinematography? Yeah. Do you know what they shot this on? I 70 millimeter. Uh, Alexa 65. Really? Do you know how much it costs a day? Alexa 65? You can only rent it. You can't buy yeah, it. Yeah, no, you can't own that one. Um, I would guess like 3500 a day? $10,000 a day. God, that's so much. $10,000 a day. <laughs> Jesus. I can't imagine how much... They only had one. Data. They did, it's... Uh, the data on that thing has got to be outrageous. It only, yeah, the the... They're two terabyte drives and they, they are for, they can shoot up to 40 minutes of recording time. Like, but you're not going to, you're not shooting. I mean, you are shooting that, but you're not like shooting longer than 40 minute yeah, clips. Yeah. So no. God, and it, it's 60 for, it allows up to 60 frames, but no faster than that. The resolution is 6560 by 3100. 
It's like the largest sensor camera. Yeah. Uh, on like available. It's hard to beat Alexa. I mean, if I could own an Alexa. I'd well, yeah. Right. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so from what I hear though, like a lot of, at least a lot of DPs here say that most, most, um, productions that come here, they, they want red, like not the big ones, obviously yeah. the big ones shoot on Ari and stuff, but like most can't afford that. So, but they always yeah. want red and it's like, why? Why a C three hundred can shoot like just as good, and it's like four K. But you got a red, you have to spend like eighty thousand dollars or something to get a four K sensor. Like gearing it up is like yeah, it's insane. insane. The cards cost eighteen hundred dollars. Yeah, if I had budget, and I would definitely just roll with an Alexa. The problem with the Alexa, uh, short of the sixty five, is that it doesn't shoot four K. Right, and so well, this one does. Right, this but one not, does, but the others don't. No, the others yeah. don't. And so the reason that's important for those who don't know, Netflix only acquires four K right. uh, footage. And so you need to not only acquire it, but output it in 4K. And so that Reds have really grown in popularity, especially in, uh, with the Netflix crowd yeah. for that reason. Right. Um, and, but by the way, for all of you people out there, if you don't have a 4K TV, none of that stuff matters anyway. So s- stop renting 4K movies yeah. if you don't have a 4K TV. Yeah, it really doesn't. Anything You can above. watch everything in 720, and yeah. trust me, and you won't notice the difference. Yeah, I still watch old school DVD movies, which are not even 420 uh, yeah. or 480p. Like, right. The, and they still sometimes they look better yeah you know honestly like it's depending on the content and right whatever like you yeah anyway so getting into the the reveals the i love the 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 sophie delusion uh, reveal Mm -hmm. because zazie beats his reaction sells delusion she has that comment you're arthur right and immediately because of the murray sequence earlier we know oh my god that's been a delusion the whole time but they use the flashbacks. They go back to her at the door and so that she was never at the door and uh, them hanging out in the hospital, whatever. And she was never there. And so they'd use all those flashbacks to spell it out, to be crystal clear and leave no ambiguity, which I can appreciate. Part of me as a filmmaker wants just to leave it at that and rely on the audience a little bit. But that's it's, something like that. Yeah. It? But it's good filmmaking to help out everyone to make sure that there is absolutely no questions about that was a delusion. And can I point out her reaction is why I, I don't think that he killed her Hmm. because her reaction, if she would have been like, get the F out of my house and and like screamed at him and stuff, maybe, maybe, but she was, she was loving almost right. She was scared, not loving. She was scared, of course, but she wasn't antagonistic. Right. You were like Arthur, right? Yeah. Right. Is, is your mom home? Can you, yeah. can you like she was trying to like, there was a great combination of fear for her safety and also concern. Like, yeah, I am definitely afraid for me and my child right now, but at the same time, I think he might need help. Yes. Um, yes. And that, that like she was kind yeah. to him as opposed to like immediately trying to call the cops or yeah. immediately screaming or whatever. And, and I, I get it. I get why her kid was in the other room and she just didn't want to freak him out. Mm. And it, it, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like the way that she delivered it was so good. Yeah. Anyway, keep on. Um, and then we get into the reveal number two, which I think is interesting and may or may not get the same level of, I don't know, notice or attention from everybody else. But I think the second reveal is that he's actually laughing at evil, that he doesn't have a condition, that he's deeply disturbed. Um, and everything that he does is 
all that laughter is because he's enjoying the evil in other people and the evil that's being called out. Because generally, that's when he laughs is whenever something bad is happening. It's true. Um, yeah. he, he rarely laughs at, like in the comedy club, he greatly laughs at someone's joke. Yeah, um, but he wasn't really laughing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was different. It was a different laugh. It's so. It was like I'm supposed to laugh at that because it's a joke. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> yeah. But it it was a different oh, laugh than, his, laughing. Laugh, than yeah. his other laughs. Yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah. And so we have that reveal whenever right before he kills his mom, like he's been off his pills, and so to some degree, you might say that this is a result of him losing his medication or access to his medication. But it's at that moment that he decides to kill his mom, and. There's like a sense of, I don't know, joy. He obviously doesn't care. Yeah. But I think that's kind of the big reveal of, oh, not only uh, does he not have this condition, he laughs at evil and he enjoys it. And now he's going to kill his mom because this is who he is. Yeah. Uh, this is really what's in his heart. But let's turn on the other lens that you've been talking about because this does come off as a... 99% versus the 1% morality tale of leaving behind people who are vulnerable. And obviously Joker is apolitical, right? He does not have a philosophy or political leanings. Um, and so morality is kind of subjective to him and to, I mean, to everybody. Uh, morality is very subjective, but the, the heart of this seems to be that there's this morality tale about leaving and, and, abandoning people who are vulnerable and that's why he has his big punchline right the, the the killing joke what do you get when you cross a mentally ill loner with a society that abandons him mm -hmm. you get what you deserve bang right and he kills him um well which what you effing deserve right <laughs> and what's interesting about that is of course the lead up to that moment is they're making it feel like he's going to kill himself like i hope my death makes more sense than my yeah. life. Yeah. Um, and so they're kind of building that. And the big twist of course, is that, uh, nope, you're going to die for all this. Not me. Like I don't deserve death. And so, yeah, that is clearly in there. This idea of society abandoning, uh, him and the city kind of falling into chaos as a reaction to him because everyone else is kind of feeling that same way, which is, you know, the, the bankers on the train that are beating him up and him defending himself and killing them. And Thomas Wayne. Yeah. You know, like saying those terrible things. So I think that's kind of the safe play. I think there's potentially something else. Uh, I was debating if I was going to bring this up or not. Of course you're uh, going to bring it up. <laughs> but where else would you talk about it? Nowhere. Come on. Nowhere at that's all. That's what we do this for. <laughs> but I think this is interesting and... I'm working really hard to leave my own political leanings out of this because I just think it's all, I think it's more important sometimes to, to discuss what the movie's trying to invoke and uh, empathize and try to understand where they're coming from. And I say that as a part of the last comment, as far as this is a morality tale, 99% versus the 1%. And to this next comment, which is, uh, could be offensive to some as well, but this, there, there might be additional allegory, laid in here where the Joker is symbolism of Trump because there's all this uh, graffiti on the walls like resist. Uh, and there's, you know, after his election, there was a lot of uh, resist uh, 
I don't know, nomenclature or what have you, uh, going through social media. Uh, and there's also this idea that there's a clown in charge. You, I hear this a lot, you know, through social media and uh, even news coverage, calling him a clown. And there's also the idea that uh, he's loved by all for the evil he invokes on a media personality, right? He kills this media personality. Um, and that's been a big thing since even before Trump was elected was his combating with uh, news and media personalities and uh, obviously just wanting to be loved and adored. And whenever he doesn't feel that love and adoration, he immediately uh, kicks out and attacks. And of course, there's the the famous when he was campaigning, he made this comment that I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters. And so I feel like there could be a direction that Todd Phillips and Scott Silver were going at with looking at how could we tell a Trump story as an allegory? And in some ways, now it's not perfect because obviously Trump didn't grow up without means. And he, I, to my knowledge, he wasn't abandoned in any literal or symbolic sense. Uh, but I think it's an interesting play on the idea of as an entryway to writing this character, like who and what could we model them off of? And maybe they took it as inspiration. Maybe not. Maybe I'm just this. Maybe this is all completely in my head. Interesting. That would really surprise me. Uh, but maybe <laughs> this is my own delusion. <laughs> right, Murray? <laughs> but I, I mean, I could I, possibly, you know, because there was a lot of political stuff in here, mm-hmm. in here, you know, like uh, Thomas Wayne was running for mayor. Right. right. And, um, and he was saying terrible, terrible things. And so you. Yeah, you, you kind of wanted somebody else to take his place, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. it could possibly. Yeah. So, who knows? Yeah, I found it really interesting. I was yeah, like, oh, they're, they're kind of playing around a little bit here. But I think it's fun. Anytime I kind of see an interesting route to writing in a in a way that isn't necessarily obvious, but kind yeah, of helps yeah, yeah. kickstart your imagination. I like that. Uh, yeah, I think a that's lot. really fun. My last comment is about uh, the acting. The uh, Joaquin Phoenix is Who's I don't know who's going to beat him for an Oscar. So this leads me to my question whenever you're done. Okay. So the thing with his performance, it's an incredibly physical performance. Like you, people generally think of physical comedy and they think of uh, Three's Company, Jack tripping over the couch. Like, yeah, that's physical comedy. That's not all that goes into a physical performance. Whenever you think of like the laughter, that's that's very physical. Like you have to invoke all this. Um, and obviously like the dancing and the running and he's very expressive with uh, a lot of his emotions whenever he allows himself to kind of experience these emotions. But otherwise he's also running this gamut of being completely restrictive and accessing that or displaying that to the world. Like he's standing in front of his boss and he's just kind of very still. And so it's like there's this thing that's trying to break out of him that in moments and his laughter uh, finally kind of breaks free. And then by the end of the movie, obviously, is completely uninhibited as he's doing the, uh, I don't know, the million dollar man uh, hip thrust or whatever. And then which is like my favorite freaking thing. So good. Perfect. And then the, you know, that final sequence of he murdered the the attending and now he's trying to escape the, the middle ward. But overall, this had to have been an absolutely exhausting performance to come in day in and day out. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, Heath Ledger and Jack Nicholson. There's been all this discussion about how taxing this role is. And I can imagine from a 
if you're really trying to connect with the Joker, <laughs> you go to some really dark places. I've been to dark places as an actor, and I've gone nowhere near this this dark of a character, I don't think. Though I've played some pretty dark, shitty people. Uh, but the emotional and physical taxing uh, that must have happened for him playing this role... I don't, yeah, I don't know who, who can, who can walk away with an Oscar that isn't Joaquin. Yeah. It'll be interesting. I mean, there's still a few months to go, but, or yeah. two months to go, but yeah. Anyway. Well, I was going to ask you to compare it to, uh, Heath's performance and, and what, what you think the differences are, what you think, you know, I mean, I don't want to go as bland as to say, who do you think was better? Cause okay. they're both incredible, but you know, what do you think the differences were and, and why? I mean, the writing changes so much, you, you know, me, totally. uh, whenever you're you're doing uh, character study. I think Heath is so incredible just because of how little screen time he gets. Hmm. How much do you get to do with so little screen Very time? Good point. That's wow. so hard to accomplish. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Joaquin got what, two hours? <laughs> yeah, it was all him. Yeah, it's yes, all yes, every yes. scene Very is going to be him. Point. And so I... And absolutely enthralled with his performance here. But for me, it doesn't take anything away from Heath yeah. for that simple reason. I totally agree. You know? I totally agree. Uh, for me, the thing that I will say, the reason why... Well, now that you brought that up, there's two reasons for me why Joaquin... You know, Joaquin's performance just hits you harder. One, what you just said, which is brilliant. He, he gets two hours. But also... And, and while you're talking, I just kind of realized like, like, yes, you mentioned the Joker is like a really, it's a, it's a rabbit hole, right? If you want to play that role. Right. And obviously with, uh, Heath, uh, you know, uh, passing, you know, I, I think that that role had a lot to do with it. Right. He went down dark road, but I think that a lot of actors can go down these dark roads and still be okay. The, the reason why, Heath's performance isn't as personally impactful for me. And I imagine for you when I say this, but tell me if you agree or not. I didn't agree with his reasoning, not Heath's, but the Joker's reasoning in that movie. Like when he's sitting there, when he's in the hospital, he's talking to Two-Face and he's, he's, you know, introduce a little anarchy and it, or I say one little mare will die, you know, whatever. It really doesn't make sense, right? And maybe that was part of the character, but you never get an actual reason why he is how he is or who he is or what happened or or anything. There is no backstory and that's fine. I'm not saying there should have been. I'm yeah. just saying th you are detached from agreeing or empathizing or uh, relating to him as a person, Right. He's a character. Yeah. That's it. He's a character. And here he gives his reason right before he kills Murray. Right. And you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I've seen it coming mm -hmm. for the last hour and a half. But yes, you put it, you, you spelled it out. You told me why, why this is happening and why this is going to happen. And I agree with you. Okay. Wait a minute you're going to do some shitty things. You've done some bad things. And now I agree with you. Like that is okay. Um, uh, you know, you got to take a step, step back. So not taking anything away from Heath, that is an Oscar performance and it deserved it. So is this, 
but for a totally yeah, different no, reason. and I knew I, I meant to add a spoiler warning to all Joker films because I knew we were going to invoke you know Batman. Sorry, and you got Dark to Knight. know that. Yeah, yeah, but no, I I I agree. Like they're the that Heath Ledger's Joker, Dark Knight was a vessel for you know driving everything else within the story whereas here the entire story is watching him and so there's so much less under the surface we don't really get very deep underneath who that joker is and he and throughout the film i think he's lying about the origin story of his scars like you never because he said changes it all the time and so and i think that's a running theme throughout the comic books as well Mm. yeah so i don't think they ever really give you enough beyond the fact that you know some people just want to watch the world burn yeah and, and so, that's the point i guess right yeah however he got to the way he was maybe was going to be fodder for future films if uh heath had stuck around but uh mm-hmm. yeah there was just there's just not enough below the surface to give more reasoning or more emotional depth and maybe to to a reason you don't want to see him win you want to see him fail and if you give him too much emotional resonance, then suddenly you're you're rooting against Batman. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's not a good place to come from either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's the Dark Knight. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So. I mean, that's that's kind of all I got. But you haven't told me like what you think of the movie. I so I was so screwed up after that first one. I hated it. Like I went home and I told my roommate, he was like, he hated it like it's a bad movie or you hated it like, I hate you. I don't know. I mean, maybe both. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Maybe both. I honestly don't know. Uh, I was cognizant that it was a well-executed film, well-written and performed and crafted. I was very aware that this is an incredibly well-made movie. I didn't know that I enjoyed it though. Like, did I enjoy those two hours? Would I want to go through that again? Not necessarily. Did I walk away with anything that felt worthwhile and I didn't feel like I had? I would say the second viewing changed that, though. I would say walking out of the second viewing, I was like, oh, no, I I definitely appreciate the conversation more. And I like it a lot more. I definitely don't love it. I love it as a work of art. It's this weird thing. I have this with several movies that I love as a work of art that I'm like, I don't want to see that anymore. (laughs) I don't want to go through that experience ever again. But doesn't that make it brilliant? Yeah, absolutely. I don't want to see Hereditary ever again. Ever. Uh, If you've never seen Blindness, I don't want to see that ever again. Like uh, there's there's just a handful of really dark, incredible films with something to say uh, that I don't want to hear. <laughs> Interesting. You said it. I heard it. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> okay. Okay. And, and so I, I, I can assume what you would rate this if we're going to the, uh, the five star system. Six. <laughs> I'm, I'm giving it an F and six. Yes. It's yes. Uh, there's, there's literally nothing I would change. Yeah. Yeah. There's then nothing. I have a question for you after you tell me. I, yeah. For me, I'm probably at a four. Okay. Like, there's, oh, all right. Yeah, there's nothing I would change, and I think it's incredibly well made. And I would want to see, like, if we were doing a recommendation algorithm, I'd want to see whatever you watch this, and therefore we're going to recommend X, Y, Z. I want to see all those movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I love. I, I really think this is a fantastic film for sure. Okay, it's okay. my emotional reaction that yeah. I have a trouble with. <laughs> okay, uh, so 
I, I was talking to a cinematographer friend of mine and he said, he said, yeah, you know, it was, it was a good movie, but I felt like the story was flat and really what held it up was the performance, which was really an awkward thing for me to hear. Cause that's what movies are, right? Right. Yeah. You can, I mean, you can have an okay script, but if you have an amazing performance, it's a really good movie, right? I'm not saying that this, that like you don't want both. You obviously want both, right? You want a good script and you want a good performance, but what is your take? What is your take on that? Like if you would have put somebody else in as Joker, you know, or, or you would have had a stronger script. Do you think it would have affected anything or do you think anything was lacking in that? Regard? No, I think that was an incredibly well-written script and a great story. I so yeah. I okay. 100% disagree with whoever said that. Okay. But I think if on a very basic level, a story has a beginning, middle and end. And ideally, the end has some connection with the beginning. And that middle is some type of transformation between the two. Mm-hmm. That's at the very base baseline what a story is and this has all of that in spades and spades you know you have a guy who starts weak beaten down and by the end he's uplifted and he's got a whole new uh, outlook on life he's transformed uh, transmogrified you know even and the process that he goes through is nothing but meat and yeah so no, I think this is an incredibly well-written script. And I to the point that I think you could plug in anybody, a lot of other people, and walk away with a really fantastic movie um, to a large degree. I think Joaquin brings something else to it for sure. But I just think that so much to the point that if I had just read this script, I would have had just as visceral of a reaction because the, the story is that uh, compelling. That's good to hear. I, I agree. Um and then my last question, you and I really identify, are the movies we really identify with have an amazing soundtrack. What did you think of the soundtrack in this film? It's soundtrack. I don't know how you call it soundtrack. It's a score. Score. Thank yeah. you. It was great. I felt, I felt callbacks to other films. I, mm-hmm. uh, at no point did, did I ever, okay. At some points I felt, oh, the score is really like talking to me right now, but they were more in increasingly rare like obviously the the end ramp up is just foreboding and all that existential dread coming to fruition but for me it really begins at the uh begins him walking out of sophie's apartment boom boom Mm -hmm. whatever uh and that beautiful up angle shot of him walking down the hallway like it's powerful you know but yeah i wouldn't say i would say it affected me on an emotional level more than I couldn't really call out any of the the beats, but emotionally it carried the movie so perfectly that I rarely considered it. And I was more tuned into the performance because of that. Yeah. So to me, it was a perfect supporting element exactly as a script and cinematography and everything else should be dovetailing together, right. To, to tell Mm -hmm. the story instead of calling attention to itself to some degree, Uh, even though some scores call attention to themselves and feel like an addition to the movie uh, in the best way possible. Yeah. Um, but in this case, I felt like it was just the perfect supporting undercurrent 
of what Arthur was going through. Uh, what, what, what about you as a artist and musician? Were yeah, you- I couldn't agree more. It, it's, but for me, it was like, it was visceral. It was, yeah. it was like, if any other note notes would have been played, it would have ruined the entire movie, <laughs> yeah. which is what a score, a good score is supposed to be. Right. Mm-hmm. And whether you notice it or not, it doesn't even matter. Yeah. You know, some of our other favorite films also contain our favorite scores. Yeah. Right. So, um, and they are, they are wound into the fabric of the, of the, the movie. I feel like this did it better than almost any other one. Yeah. Whether you just chose to notice it or not, yeah. you could decide to not notice it and just enjoy the movie. Uh-uh. Or you could decide to really just lay down in it. You know but, what I mean? But I'm so glad you called attention to it because I, I really spent very little time. I spent some time, but very little uh, thinking about it. And I love that because so often movies, and we've talked about this before, they do these temp tracks and they just kind of water down and it feels like something you've heard a thousand times before and it feels completely washed out. And it doesn't feel like it was tailored to this scene, to this moment, to this emotion. And here they clearly went the links to say, I'm going to sit down with the composer, which I don't know who the composer was. Um, uh, it's, I think it's some Japanese guy. I'm not sure. Nice. Yeah. And they said, what is, how can we, you know, support this and add to this in a way that brings out the emotion and the tension and everything that's happening in the story from scratch. Let's just it, start there. It's so great because there's not, there's a motif, but there's not a motif. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. a, it, the motif is a sound. Right. And you have like three notes that are randomly played in back and forth and back and forth. And they're so broken. Um, They're like they're broken up and yet they're still held loosely together. Right. Mm -hmm. So like and you, you really they really come out when little aspects of the Joker come out. Right. The first time he dances in the in the celebrates in the bathroom. Right. That's a huge, huge moment. And you start to hear like these, these cello notes being played, you know, and there's like three or four of them, two or three or four of them. And then just this one, then that one, that one just randomly played and they're held together by some droney sounds. Right. Yep. But they're very wire thin. And, and then later as he does like other crazy stuff and you, you start, it starts kind of like congealing, right? It starts every time you hear it, it's a little bit more together. I mean, there's other movies that we can mention that, that do this really, really well that we've done on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but, and this one is really great though, because you, like I said, you could choose to ignore it or you could choose to like really pay attention to it. And man, like in, in the end, ending credits, when we saw it, I, I, I like couldn't move, man. I was just, I was, I was so enveloped by it. Um, because of the buildup, right? Where it starts when he walks down the hallway, like it starts there and and it just never stops and it keeps beating you, beating you and beating you and building and building. And then just, it is such an amazing, uh, it was, it was an incredible experience. It really was just the, the performance along with it. And then the final reveal of the Joker, just for a moment. I mean, you get the Joker for 10 seconds on screen. That's literally it. And that, I, I mean, okay. I'm sorry. We're going to have a two hour pestle. Um, the everything, everything about this movie is. Is that a 
perfect, right? The, the, the writing in that, that his laugh is a condition like, okay, his laugh, the Joker's laugh is always supposed to be iconic, right? It's always supposed to be like special, unique to this one movie or unique to this one, this one actor that plays it right. Or something like that. Or maybe it's not, maybe he never laughs. Um, or it's not that big of a deal or something, but making it a thing that like is unavoidable, a thing that is not in under his control, right? Is a, is a genius absolute genius way to look at it, right? It just paints this, this, this character that does not have control, right? Even over himself because he's fighting with himself. Yeah. And then when he finally lets it go and he says to his mother, it's not, a, I, I don't have a condition. You know, he, he, he says, I've accepted it. He's already the Joker inside and he realizes it. He's just not it externally. Yet, yeah. Right. And it's great because they're really patient on revealing even the note card. Yes. Because they wait several scenes and let you kind of experience the laughter, which has got to be really intimidating as an actor to come up with a new laugh for the Joker. Yeah. Like you've, <laughs> what do you do that hasn't already been done? Yeah. Um, and obviously he just does what felt natural and he kills it, but they wait several scenes. And one of the scenes is like this really long, we cut to him in a chair and he's laughing. And it's a close up and it's just laughing. We're like, we're tense waiting on what what's happening right now. And then the conversation with the social worker takes place and we're like, OK, like he's still off. And then we get to the train ride home where he hands his card and then our heart breaks a little bit. We're like, oh, man, yeah, because we've been kind of judging him along the way. And now they've waited to break this card out. And now every time. And this is the beauty of that scene is every time he laughs and someone looks at him, we, we keep hoping he'll break that card back. Yeah. Out. Yeah. Just explain to them. Just, yeah. just tell them. And by not telling them we're, we're empathizing with him. Our heart is breaking and we're, we're screaming for something to happen in his defense. And anytime you get the audience to start reacting on behalf of your characters, you have them. Yeah, man. I mean, it, he doesn't have the card anymore because those get, those kids took oh, it from right. him, right? Yeah. He tried to hand it to him. I have a condition and they picked him up and they threw it or whatever. So he didn't have it. Uh, what do you, what do you, have you heard all this, this talk about incels, um, talking about this is the, this is a movie for them. And then I haven't heard they, that. I know what incels are, he, but well, yeah, there's all this talk about like, Oh, the, he was, he was actually an incel and, and this is our, this is a, a call to us. And like, you know, we're identifying with this character, this Arthur Fleck. And that's so like funny. That. I actually wrote a short film about incels. Really? Um, yeah. It ended up getting nuked uh, just before production. But oh. um, yeah. You, what do you think about, about that? I mean, that's, I know my first, my first instinct was to like react like, what are you joking? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's are you jokering? Very much. Where but, I'm at. but you know, I'm seeing it a second time. There are aspects of him that I could see, an incel mm. seeing and trying and identifying with. Cause if you're, if you identify as someone as like an incel, you are looking for others that yeah. also identify as that as well. It's not like you see one. Yeah. That's, I feel like, like you get this day. a lot in society and 
on the one hand, that's what uh, a well-written movie will do is tap into these universal truths. Yeah. And so anyone can identify with it, even though it's super specific. The story, this story is a very specific story about Arthur Fleck and what he went through. But the things that he deals with are so universal that anyone can, you know, identify with certain aspects and connect with him on a human el- uh, uh, level. And so that's what good screenwriting does and what's largely lost in uh, so many of these washed up movies that are going so broad that you can't connect with them because they're not specific enough that makes you believe in relate and which is a very ironic thing uh, to deal with but on the other hand there's also people like this that will just back their way into uh, a, a logic or reasoning where they will kind of distort things out of shape uh, in order to connect and like oh yeah it's you know this is this is this represents us because and yeah it just feels very distorty and okay. so i would have to watch it again with that lens on but that is my knee-jerk reaction that's a good knee-jerk, rea- knee-jerk reaction i think uh and just just to harken back just one more second i know we're going along i don't care i don't care um to the beautiful way that you described what a what a, a good story is it's the it's the it's like a beginning and an end with an arc in the middle. Like, what did you say? You said, yeah, it's a, a, well, a story has a beginning, a middle and an end. Yo, yeah. And I mean, ideally how something ends is relevant to how it also begins. Like mm-hmm. those things usually should be connected in some form or fashion. Uh, right. In this case, you have Arthur Fleck uh, at the beginning and at the end you have Joker. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's clearly, you know, uh, transformed into the Joker along the way. And, the story is how he transformed into the Joker. Yeah. Um, and of course, there's so much specificity in there, even though, I mean, most people haven't been on medication for an involuntary laugh. Like that's something that, but I think we've all felt abandoned or mm-hmm. felt isolated at one time or another or abused or mistreated or misunderstood. Like the idea of feeling misunderstood is completely universal. We've all experienced that moment at one time or another in our lives, probably on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Whenever you're just feeling something and someone can't relate or they're trying to relate when in fact they cannot. Yeah. Or at times whenever those miscommunications result in larger uh, issues when, you know, the if you had said the right thing at the right time, maybe that would have made a difference. But sometimes you just want to say how you feel. Yeah. And... Obviously, he does that a time or two whenever he could have said on Murray's show, yeah, they were beating me up. That was self-defense, which is kind of what we're wanting him to say. Mm -hmm. But he refuses to say that. He's like, no, screw all that. They deserved it. Yeah. That's all you need to know. Yeah. yeah. You know? (laughs) Well, it it was it was I realized when you said that, that the first the first opening shot that we have is him doing the in the in the mirror and crying. Right. And then the last shot we have when he becomes Joker, not the very last shot of the movie, yeah. but the last shot when he becomes Joker, he paints it on. Yeah. And he's actually smiling. Yeah. Right. And That's... throughout the movie, like when he meets Bruce, he makes him smile. Meaning to me, that means that means we all have a Joker in us. Right. Like I said earlier. Mm-hmm. And him, the Joker was like screaming at him to come out, you know, and th- which is why he had a tear running down his face at the beginning. But the whole movie, you know, is like. He's, he's trying to paint that, right? He's trying to make himself into that or the Joker's yeah. trying to come out. And then finally at the end he comes out and he's so happy. 
He's like, fine. He's actually smiling underneath the, the blood smile. That's amazing because, yeah, it... But it's a smile in the beginning, smile in the end. It does, it does point to the idea that he was using clown makeup as a method of trying to external use an external method of uh, changing an internal issue, yeah. right? He was trying to, if I just play the part, maybe I'll be happy. Maybe I'll feel joy. And obviously he could never get to that until he finally gave. And then it became an internal uh, expression that was externalized that actually brought about his joy. Now my joy, yeah. how I really feel, I'm accepting it and I'm externalizing exactly. it. And here's, and by the way, whenever he does that, it's flawless. It's so good. <laughs> the second time I saw it, even more so. I was so just like, that's, oh. Was there a CG? Like, I want, yeah. they just nailed that smile. No, I, I, I'm just going to say that it wasn't CG'd. I'm going to say, nope, that was how it was. That was the 50th take, and they did it perfect, and it was just awesome. It was so good, dude. Flawless. It was so good. And then um, the last thing, oh, I had, I had one more thing that I wanted to say. Oh, and I lost it because you just said that. And I was like, yes, no. Oh, gosh. Um, I cannot say enough amazing things about this film. From the very beginning to the very end, I am sucked in and I am with Arthur. And, oh, I remember. I remember. Do you remember a long time ago when we first started this? How I've been bitching and moaning for a real, a real superhero movie. Yeah. You know, yeah. and even when I'm not going to talk about any other movies, but how I've just been like, I want a dark brooding, yeah, like real human movie about a superhero. I got it. <laughs> this is it. And it had nothing to do with the hero and everything in, in that sort of sense. It did have something to do with the hero. Yeah. But Arthur Fleck is like everybody's fucking hero, man. Like he just, just, this is the movie. This is the one that I've been waiting for that I've been saying, I want this, I want this, I want this, make it, make it, make it. And they finally did. And they earned, they earned that, that top spot in the R-rated film, like, like, yeah, um, I mean, yes, box they earned, office. they definitely earned that, that, the box office, but they also earned this ending. Yes. They earned creating the Joker because that's the hardest thing that, uh, oh, great point. Batman films, they, they do their best to justify but I don't know that we've ever earned um, a Joker before. Yeah. And here you finally have like the empathy that we talked about earlier and circumstance, but also just, you know, the performance. And they earned creating someone as insane as the Joker. And to your point earlier, it wasn't through mindless killing. Yeah. Which is... I know. See, you're being affected right now. Yeah, no, I've like, admitted that from the beginning. I'm still not going to watch this movie anymore. <laughs> uh, I'm, I, I call bull. <laughs> right. I call bull on that. Well, I'll, I mean, eventually I'll do an essay on it and I'll have to buy it. But beyond that, you'll I'll, have. Uh, why are you giving it a four? A four out of five. That's yeah, fantastic. But, yeah, but, a great movie. but the way you're talking about it makes it seem like it should be less. No, it's a great movie. I love discussing it. Oh, no, 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 no. no. I don't think it should be less. Uh, if anything, it should. I could probably give it a, a notch higher. But uh, no, I, I think Which it's a fantastic movie. fine that you give it a four. Nah. <laughs> I'm just saying, are you being honest with a four? It should be lower. No, no. The, the, because the craftsmanship, everything about this movie is too fantastic. I would, I couldn't lump this in with, I don't know. 
you know, the random Netflix movies that I watch. Right? <laughs> no, this no. deserves this. This is definitely a cut above and enjoyable to a large degree. Uh, just not an experience that I want to repeat. Uh, yeah. Which is why it's a five <laughs> for me, for me. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm really gl- man out of all, out of all of our episodes, this has been my favorite. Obviously, this is the longest one we've done, I think, right? No. No, we've done a longer one than... Yeah, The Room. <laughs> the Room was almost oh, two hours. Yeah, but we had... Well, you got drunk in it. Yeah. And, yeah. Which we need a new one. And we one. had another person on the, on yeah, the podcast. Yeah, we had two people, yeah. Yeah. Who, who, Sean and uh, Scott. Sean was on it too? Yeah. Oh, he was just kind of sitting in a corner saying <laughs> random things. <laughs> he's the best. <laughs> yeah, he's so good. <laughs> Love you, Sean. <laughs> Move back to Austin. Yeah, we'll do another one where I get high on the show too. Um, but Well, now it's on camera, so it'd have to be before. Uh, oh, that's you, don't want to, you don't want to get it. not on camera. No, that's a good point. Dang. Yeah, yeah. Or we just don't. Or you just you just part. walk out, yeah. walk out of frame for a minute, walk back and be like, I'm good. I'll block. I'll put yeah, up a curtain. Right. Yes. Just a billow of like, smoke comes yeah, out. Oh my gosh, we're doing it. We're doing it. You heard it here. But, but that also means you got to watch a really bad movie in order to get that. Because that's the whole you purpose. Watch a really great movie like yeah. Labyrinth or something. I want. I want it to be because I can't talk about this movie it's so bad that i can't do it sober like oh. i gotta get high like i want to do twilight which i'm gonna talk oh you into. my god <laughs> oh, please don't make me do that hey you know i mean what? i mean no the maybe it's a great movie and it's... music of the first twilight are actually fantastic okay i'm done <laughs> what are you gonna recommend this week <laughs> <laughs> that's it so uh, i was trying to think of what to recommend and i just you know let's just stick with the with the comic book stuff. And I want to recommend, uh, into the spider verse. Oh, nice. It's my favorite, uh, Spider-Man movie. That's fantastic. Easily. Easily. Yeah. Um, nice. I'm going to recommend not tangential whatsoever. I just saw it on Amazon prime yesterday. I think it's called never going back. And it's a stoner movie (laughs) (laughs) of these two girls who are wanting to go, uh, on a trip to Galveston. And that's, it goes in some really weird places. It's hilarious. Uh, okay. Check it out. I'll, we'll put links in the uh, show notes, of course. And yeah. So I uh, want to give a couple of shout outs to our Patreons or yes. Patronites. Yes. Patrons. 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 Uh, Alyssa, our yes. favorite people in the world. Joe and Izzy, who also uh, bought some swag. Like, super excited. Thank you guys for uh, supporting. Yeah. And if anybody wants to, anybody else wants to. Oh, and to Mark, support, who, Mark also. Yeah, Izzy. Well, I, I call him Izzy. Oh, is that the same? Yeah, same guy. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's, Thanks, Iz. Yeah. Yeah, so really appreciate you guys. If anybody else wants to jump on our, our Patreon, we have some really cool uh, exclusive stuff coming up that. Eh, you'll find it interesting. I can't tell yeah, you, but they're, it's really awesome stuff. Yeah, it's really, really cool. Awesome. So if you're one of our patrons, go check this update and you'll, you'll get some really cool exclusive stuff that, uh, before everybody else for this short spotlight this week, I want to, this was hard because I, I don't normally like putting something that is already well known out there, but this was just so well done. It's something you sent me several weeks ago. Really? It's called circle back by Samantha Jane. And it's this oh yeah poem that uh, is 
you just got to watch it. Yeah. It's, it's really fantastic. On, on cake. So yeah, on cake, it's a TV show on FX. FX yeah. Uh, and so go watch it. It's really fantastic. I think everybody will, lay. it's kind of satirizing office life yeah. and she just nails it. Yes. It's um, brilliant. So stay tuned next week. Well, we are going to cover, <laughs> we, I forgot to, we, yeah. we normally do this ahead of the show and I threw out a bunch of options that I never confirmed with Todd beforehand and he's highlighted some great options and I think I want to do something kind of light. So maybe okay. edge, edge of tomorrow. Let's do it. Um, so yeah. So Stay tuned next week. We cover Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt, who I'm like on a bender right now. Oh, my gosh. I can't stop watching Emily Blunt films. Yeah, agreed. Um, So Edge of Tomorrow next week. And don't forget to subscribe, review us on iTunes and uh, whatever else. What are the other apps like uh, Gmail? What's the uh, Google Android Play? Google Play, I think. Oh, yeah. I don't know where people on Android go to listen to us, but wherever it is. Review Google Play, it. I think, right? Google Play. Okay. Go to any podcast. Uh, I have no Maybe. idea if we even have reviews on there right now. But if that's what you listen to, then drop us there or on. Uh, we're also on Spotify. Yeah. Um, but if you want to leave a comment on this episode and tell us how we missed the big reveal, mm-hmm. uh, whatever, you can do that at thepestlepodcast.com slash joker. And please do that. Really. Because this is, this is definitely a movie. Say what you will about it. But it is a movie that... it requires conversation it's it's so crazy that that this movie actually does that because a lot of movies it's like oh you know yeah you kind of got it or maybe or whatever like (laughs) what was that that's my joker oh god stop it please but this one actually requires conversation and it's it's I think it's all welcomed. It's not like a, you got this wrong or you got that wrong. It's probably like a, oh, that's an interesting take. This is what I got from it, right? And not all movies can do that. Mm-hmm. So please. Yeah, this you know, is you have like a Warshak test. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's a great way to put it. So please, if you if you do have anything, you know, let's talk. Let's yeah. chat. Uh, so we'll leave you with a quote of the day from Charles Manson. Could not be, be a better quote than right now. Remorse for what? You people have done everything in the world to me. Doesn't that give me equal right? There you go. That, I mean, that's... <laughs> <laughs> that comment? I mean, that's the movie. Yeah. That is... That's There's your Joker right there. Yeah. And he didn't even kill anybody. No. It's... I think that's kind of... That's the essential question that they're asking us, right? Yeah. Like, why should he feel bad for anything he's done based on everything that's happened to him? Now... I think whenever you step away from that, we walk out of that movie and we realize that morality isn't about equality. It isn't about going eye for an eye. Right. It's about doing what's right because it's right, not what's right because everyone was nice to me. Um, Yeah. This, I mean, like this movie and this quote or whatever, doesn't give people the right to to do these things just because bad things happen to them. People do not have the right to do that, right? It is it is simply a a break, like a snap within a within someone because of those things. And they're not they're then not able to control their actions in a way that would be don't laugh like that again. I I thought I saw it coming. Don't do it. Um, But yeah, no, uh, it's, I mean, perfect quote, man. Wow. Uh, Unbelievable. Crazy. Well, I mean, I, I wonder how many people who started this are still with us. (laughs) I, I think a lot, probably. I think, you know, 
more than not, this has been like really, really amazing episode. It's been one of my favorites. Nice. My favorite, I yeah. will say. So I'm still a big fan of Birdman. We had, that was a lot of fun, too. Yeah. Indomitable Joe Howell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, Joe. I, I want to hear from you on this, yes. man. I'll bet you have some amazing opinions. Please share them. Uh, so, yeah, again... Thank you, Joe. I mean, thank you, Wes, for 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 doing this this week. Yeah, I really appreciate you not keeping me on the hook with what you thought of this movie for any longer. Uh, it's hard to sit next to you in a theater and not like ask you, would you or like afterwards not talk about it. Like that was that was agony for it me. Was. Same. So please uh, share this episode. Um, tell your friends about it. All that good stuff. And thank you to all of our patrons and uh, and everything and for sticking with us through this whole hour and a half episode. Uh, Enjoy us next week when we do Edge of Tomorrow. Until then, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch the movies. Mm-hmm.